Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Society-13.com. I like to listen. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. to this podcast. Be aware, this show often uses very naughty language. If you don't like that, you shouldn't listen. Send your complaints to I am a whiny baby with no sense of humour at nightstory.com or stop by the studio. I'll take you for a ride to a story of my choosing. Welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast. This is episode 513, and this is the sound of Jeanette Andromeda's voice. And this is the sultry sound of immortal Alexander. (laughs) Today on the show, we have the lovely and extraordinarily talented Addison Peacock from the No Sleep Podcast. She is a voice actor for the No Sleep Podcast, but is also a performer and writer. First up, we have a clip from the No Sleep podcast episode, The New Beginning Center, which features the voice of Addison Peacock. Then, we'll go right on into the interview. On the final day of my involuntary fast, Louise entered my room as she had the day before. She sat a tray before me and opened it. Inside was the same rotten food that I had become accustomed to in the previous days. On this day, however, Louise was smiling. Have you learned not to be an entitled little cunt? Are you ready to finally eat today? I can't eat this. It's spoiled. Just like you. Before I could react, she shoved the meat into my mouth, using all of her strength to hold it there. The taste and texture hit me like a punch to the face. The meat had begun to breed maggots, and I could feel them wriggling as I struggled against Louise's hand. I retched into my mouth, covering her open palm with bile and rotten meat. Louise jerked her hand away and wiped it triumphantly on my bedspread. I clawed at my mouth, desperately trying to get every bit of taste out of it. I continued to dry heave, my empty stomach contracting over and over again. Louise left the room and returned with the clipboard. She began to write, narrating as she did. Patient, still refuses to eat any and all solid foods. The patient demonstrates bulimic behavior in addition to anorexia nervosa. The patient is repeatedly 
non-cooperative. A feeding tube is recommended for patient safety. With that, Louise smiled brightly and left the room. I thought about Louise a lot that day as I balled up the disgusting food in my bed sheets and positioned my mouth under the sink's faucet. With every swallow of that foul taste, I thought about what she had written, what it could mean. Why would they starve me only to put me on a feeding tube? What could the purpose of that madness be? I focused on Louise's smile, that awful, predatory smile. Was it me? Did she delight in torturing me specifically? My questions went unanswered, as even the orderlies left me to myself that day. Well, welcome everybody to the Ninth Story Podcast. Today we have Addison Peacock joining us from the No Sleep Podcast. Hello. Yay, that's that's Addison. (laughs) That's me. And Addison is a uh, voice actress for the show, along with many other things that she's going to school for currently. And I'm sure you have done other things outside of school. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. mostly mostly voiceover and then uh, writing stuff. I'm all over the internet where scary things can be found, mainly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not usually a thing you brag about, but sure. No, I mean horror. That's where <laughs> I, I can be found. Ah, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm a writer uh, for the Horror Honeys, which is uh, horror news and reviews site and magazine, Belladonna Horror, uh, run entirely by female writers. That's awesome. I cover revenge horror as well as just whatever I tend to be inspired to talk about on there. So that's a thing. You uh, you opened the door for me to walk through and promote myself for a second. Please so it do. happened. Yeah, <laughs> so creepy things in a good way. Yeah. Well, scary things. I shouldn't say creepy things. I should say scary things. <laughs> <laughs> you live happily in the realm of horror. I didn't know you wrote for the horror honeys. That's really awesome. I do. I, I, I do. I'm fairly newcomer to that as well as No Sleep. Uh, no Sleep, I started about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I About a year ago to, like, yeah, very close to a year ago. Um, and then I've been with the Horror Honeys since about October. Since about October. Cool. Yeah. So for them, do you think- focus on, uh, what, what's your focus for theirs? It's it's the horror revenge kind of stories? Or are you writing stories? My- or- it's 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 reviews and uh, interviews uh, nice. largely. I started in the realm of horror television, but then we had some uh, um, moving around of designations a little bit, and it was already a shared designation. So I took on this other mantle, which I have sort of been settling into, but I like quite a bit. So nice. that is so cool. What was your most uh, most interesting interview so far? Oh, I did a great interview for Belladonna for our magazine with uh, Nick and Tosca, the head writer and uh, creator of Sci-Fi's Channel Zero. Nice. And he was so great to talk to because I don't know if you've watched any of it. It's it's really cool. They've been adapting creepypastas. The first season was Candle Cove. The second season is going to be No End House, and that should be coming out in like the fall. And talking with him about that show was really cool because I watched all of it and I'd actually reviewed all of it for the nice. site and thankfully I liked it because I didn't want to have I was nervous about going in and having him be like I heard you didn't like when I did this thing but uh, <laughs> it was thankfully very good uh, but it was a show I really enjoyed so getting to pick the brain of the person who sort of put all that together was a lot of fun I liked that that's awesome 
Yeah, which, thank which you. Jeanette's been enjoying too. With uh, we also do a, a blog, so we get to do a lot mm-hmm. of reviews. So talking to authors and kind of picking their brains about their process was pretty fun as well. Mm-hmm. It is. I just I love talking to people who make things that, because there is this. As much as we all make similar things sometimes, like if you just talk to people who make horror, we all make it in different ways and there's different things motivating us. And it's just, it's fascinating. <laughs> hmm. No, absolutely. So Addison, how did you get involved, uh, first involved with the No Sleep podcast? Okay, well, I get to show my hand a little bit here uh, with this story, but uh, I'd been listening No, I can go back further than that. We're going to take it all the way back. I've been reading stories on no sleep since I was in high school. Uh, I always liked scary things. It's been like a long, long term love affair there. But I was a long term reader of no sleep. Then about three years ago, found out that there was a podcast that did all this whole thing. Uh, And basically last year I was in the midst of I'm getting a degree in musical theater. Uh, That's my field of study. And as part of that degree, I was taking a course called prep for the theater profession that they basically were talking about, how do you get work? How do you connect with people? And they basically (laughs) said, one of the number one things you need to do is just reach out to people and just ask and say, hey, can I send you this reel? Can I send you my resume? Can I do an audition? And so I took that completely to heart and I (laughs) tweeted at uh, Mr. David Cummings of the No Sleep podcast. And I said, hi there, I have an acting student and I have a voiceover reel. And could I just like drop it in your email and just see if you like it? And he said, yeah, sure, if you want. And (laughs) so I did. And I didn't really expect anything to come of it, but Thankfully, it did, and uh, they reached out to me within a couple weeks after that, uh, and asked me to come on board. So that was it. Was it was not as exciting of a story as uh, I think people expect it to be. It's not really a journey so much as it was. I said, "Could I maybe?" And they said, "If you want." And then they said, "Yeah." <laughs> yeah, I think it's really absolutely interesting how when people don't do things because they think it's a big huge competition and there's way too many people submitting and so they just don't do things and then when you actually submit things and put yourself out there you'd be definitely always be surprised on how much of a shot you actually have if you actually try oh yeah i think people underestimate networking and but i also think there's a very very easy way it's very easy to do networking very wrong Mm -hmm. Uh, i think the biggest thing that people need to remember to do when they're trying to put themselves out there and submit for things and and get and get themselves into a particular field is you have to be willing to put yourself out there and ask but then you have to also be willing to let it go because if you you can't keep bot you have to just be polite and respectful and like one time inquiry like you can't also then be the person who's like well how about now well how about now how about now <laughs> then everyone hates you yeah you have it's it's the willing it's finding that line between um being willing to put yourself in people's field of vision or in people's sphere of awareness, but also not uh, becoming a pest or becoming a yeah. person or becoming a person that makes it very clear that you just want something from them. Yeah. It, it has to come from a place of, cause people can smell that, Oh yeah. you yeah. know, it has to come from a place of like, I'm passionate about this thing. And if you allow me to show you that I care about the thing, I will do my best work for you. Especially if you don't get any kind of a a response back or a direct communication. You have no idea what their thought process is, you know. That's the spirit that you have to bring to reaching out to people, especially in the arts. It's a it's not um a spirit of desperation or of I want you to do something for me. It's I have something I'd like to share with you if you will let me. Yeah. 
it's right. that's yeah exactly it, it's coming up to it uh coming to it from that spirit of like collaboration rather than exactly i need you to do things yeah it's or like help me with my thing because there's no reason no. they're like not that altruism isn't dead or anything but for the most part it doesn't make sense for me as a person to, or for anyone as a, like an artist trying to make stuff and go on their own journey to like take a chance on someone out of nowhere or like give you this free gift of whatever, there has to be this understanding of, well, I think I bring something to the table that you would enjoy because right. I enjoy what you bring to the table. Exactly. It's a collaboration. Yeah. And I think people treat networking like it's asking for favors. And I think people treat reaching out in that sort of way, like it's asking for something mm -hmm. as opposed to offering something or rather just trying to form a collaborative relationship. And I hope I'm making any kind of sense. Yes, definitely. It, it really, you are and, very and, much so. And definitely um, by doing it as, posing it as a, a question of, can you just check this out and let me know what you think as opposed to, I would want to be in your show, get me on your show, instead of just like exactly. being more, more passive and just saying, <laughs> hey, you know, what do you think of my work? I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of, of trying to get to the level that you guys are putting out there. Mm -hmm. What do you think of where I am? Asking as exactly. an opinion. People appreciate that. And there's tons of, of uh, Facebook groups for writers and, and, and mm -hmm. performers and everybody that say, hey, uh, just here's what I'm doing. Take a look. Give me an, an, an informed opinion on that since you're doing this professionally. I think that's extremely helpful. Exactly. And I think obviously I'm no kind of expert on this. I don't even have my uh, college degree yet, but I think that that's a huge part of it. And I think that, yeah, it's important to make sure you're not demanding uh, free work from people as well. Like mm -hmm. there has to be the understanding, like you can't be angry, like you can ask, but if someone doesn't says, I don't have time or I can't, like you can't get offended by, like you can't let that make you discouraged because it doesn't have anything to do with you. It's just so much as like, not everybody's going to have the time or the willingness to devote free labor to you and they don't have to. And that's yeah. a big thing you have to learn too, is no one owes you anything, mm -hmm. which is a weird, which is something, and I don't mean that in a mean way or to beat yourself down. I just, that was something, that's something that you learn very quickly when you're studying an art in a very competitive and high pressure environment mm -hmm. is nobody owes you anything. So you have to always approach it like you're giving something and just maybe, maybe you'll get something back. And then when they, you do, it's great. When you do, it's amazing. Yeah. But, and that's how you find those, those relationships that you want to work in. Uh, exactly. So you started in season seven, right? On I did. Nestle? I did start in season seven. Nice. I was, my first story was the Rosie hour. I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> I am so a much. very, very, very small role. I am just the, the call center employee's boss. I think I had like three lines and I did so many takes of those three lines because I was so nervous. Oh, really? <laughs> I was like, oh, people are going to hear me in this one. So I did, I had like three lines. I don't remember what they were. They were something, it was, it was pretty, it was something like, Oh, don't worry about it. It's probably a prank. And then yeah. there was something else. And then like, uh, I'm going home for that. It was something really just like totally simple. It's again, it was three lines, <laughs> super low pressure. i but I, that was, yeah, I was, I was very intense about it. But you like, got killed off in your first episodes. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> I did. I did get killed off. I die a lot on this show. It's kind of part of the, it's kind of part of the formula on a show like that. Are you <laughs> keeping either a, dying. a death counter? Oh, I should. No, I got to go back and look because, 
But I want to keep two separate counts. I need to keep account of how many times I die and how many times I'm responsible for someone else's death. <laughs> because that's a whole, those are the two worlds you occupy Yeah. <laughs> on a show like No Sleep. Because oh, we, awesome. we were going in doing our, our research for uh, the show and in your episodes, mm-hmm. uh, I was going in and just like, you know, finding every single thing you did in there. And then I'm listening to a lot of stuff and I'm, I'm hearing all these various, you know, things as far as deaths and whatever. And I'm like, man, I wish somebody would be cataloging all this. I hope somebody out there is cataloging. I bet there's somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I People hope keep... someone is. <laughs> yeah. There's always someone who points out when when which pairs of us are married in stories. I feel like somebody's keeping track of deaths if they're mm-hmm. keeping track of marriages. Some fan, <laughs> fan fiction out there too, you know? Oh, yeah, oh, there absolutely is. I think Atticus, Jackson, and I have been married about three different times in stories now. And he's always a jerk in the story. Not, <laughs> not in real life, in the story. He's a lovely person. But... There's always people that that gets pointed out, but I think I think obviously the people who've been around longer <laughs> deal more with that aspect of it. But I mean, it's such a shame when the shippers find out that none of us are in the same room as each other when we record right. it. Most of us have in fact never met. Um. So I do have one question off of that: is like, when you're recording an episode, <laughs> do you get the audio from the other people you're responding to, or are you just kind of like? flowing we do we do not absolutely do (laughs) not um sometimes like you don't get it sometimes it'll be like sometimes their their audio might already be in the dropbox by the time you record if you're recording maybe a little bit later than everybody else who already did it but nobody's sending yeah nobody's sending us uh anybody else's tracks so like uh the story i did this past not the week that not the story that just went up but the previous episode uh I was was an Atticus and I episode and there's a lot of like argumentative back and forth in that story and I just kind of have to knowing what I know about the uh, the actor I'm working with and just knowing what I know about how people interact and what this the like it's a lot of letting the text work on you because you don't have a person to work with Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you have to look at the story and let that inform you and look to the text and what's being said because yeah, you don't have another actual human person to talk to or even a voice in your ear to yeah. respond to, which is very strange. But you get used to it, surprisingly. It, ta- it takes a lot of getting used to. But uh, I think a lot of it sounding cohesive can be credited to the editing and mm-hmm. to the producers because they often are working with multiple takes and they take that and they match it up and they make it form a cohesive nice. story in a way that makes it makes some people I'm always thrilled when people think we're in the same room when we record I'm like oh it sounds like we can see each other that's awesome uh, and like we're not in different time zones but, so, it does so, flow yeah, it flows really well yeah, that's, exactly, very it does. that's very good to hear so do you ever get notes back and have to re-record something because yes. they want different kinds of inflections and stuff like that not inflection so much we get I get notes me, I personally get notes for other stuff more like I uh, will get mostly, I, I'm sure they do do it, but mostly I've gotten notes back for like uh, needing to re-record if I have something go funky with the audio or like it's echoey in that space at this particular time. They'll send you notes and have you re-record stuff. I've also had my, I've also messed up and uh, paraphrased a line accidentally or like flubbed a pronunciation is a big one. If there's, they've started putting, actually they put pronunciation guides in the scripts now. And I'm like, did I do this? Uh, because occasionally there will be a name that like, a, like particularly last names 
that you just kind of have to, if you don't have anything to go off of, just guess. And then more often than not, you get a message back like, hey, it's pronounced like this. Can you do it like that instead, please? <laughs> but I think it's more pronunciation and sound quality than inflection. I think mm-hmm. at this point, excuse me, at this point, everybody's sort of, and I don't mean to like not talk us up too much, but I think at this point, everybody is well-versed enough in the way we approach the text that it's not going to, that, that we can sort of tap into what the story is getting at just kind of from reading it because the story like gives you, and there are often little stage directions written into the story as well, especially if it's like really dialogue based and not a lot of narration. Mm -hmm. So it, it, they give us plenty of, uh, guidelines from the beginning and lots uh, to follow. And it's all there a lot of the time. And obviously everyone's experience is different. So I couldn't tell you if, but I have gotten a fair share of pronunciation notes. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that there's like a lot of the stage direction is right on the script and they just kind of allow you guys to kind of self-direct that you just, you really, uh, you Mm -hmm. have your own uh, barometer for how, to approach the this detail and then they just put a lot of that faith in you to do so mm-hmm. exactly it's and i think that's a big thing that a lot of the at least and i'm not even i'm not going to talk about myself because it's i don't want to be self-aggrandizing but a lot of my fellow cast members have is an ability to sort of is is an ability to approach text very well and an ability to let that inform what they're going to do and ability to let that work through them. It's something, uh, art school brain is on, but it's something that actually mm-hmm. you're taught when you study, uh, Shakespearean acting mm-hmm. is I think something a lot of people have trouble with, uh, with, with acting, especially in a way that feels unnatural. Maybe you're doing heightened language like Shakespeare, or maybe you're talking to a microphone alone in your room. Uh, but I think people tend to add more to what they're doing than is needed. And I think if, as an actor, you just relax and let the text work on you. Everything you need is usually right there on the page. Like it's, it's what people tell you, will tell you about Shakespeare is you don't need to do more than is already there. If you've read it enough times and you really understand it, you don't need to bring more to it. It's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is often the case with the stories as well is it's there. So since you are going to school for musical theater, how has this training prepared you uh or really helped you with the performances on the show oh boy it's very different actually yeah. I, was, I would say it almost uh the acting style that I'm trained in was almost an obstacle at first because I uh the the foundation of the program here is the Meisner technique which is extremely based in working off of another person that you are with mm-hmm. it's about being with and listening to your partner and then here I am doing a thing where I not only don't have a, like, can't see my partner. I do, like, I don't know anything about what my partner's doing. I have no way to connect with my partner. So it's, it's sort of like having to do monologue work as a scene. It's, 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 it's become a, it had to, I have a separate formula kind of in my brain from the way I have to approach the work I do on this because it's the tools I have and the sort of toolbox I've built doesn't apply it, it it's it that's what's been weird is I think there definitely is crossover and I'm sure it's helped me in ways that I can't perceive but in terms of the way my conscious mind approaches it it's it's the first couple times I said about doing a recording it's it threw me way off because I'm like well who do I there's no one for me to re- respond like it's all about listen and respond and I'm like who there's no one to listen to there's no one to respond to there's nobody here so uh that's 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 a very it's a weird transition yeah I think 
in terms of just a simple, a simplistic kind of thing in terms of musical theater training, I think I know how to keep my voice really healthy. Mm -hmm. And so I can, this is, I can scream without hurting myself now. So that's <laughs> like a more practical connection between musical theater and yeah. this is take a lot of vocal training and I do a lot of screaming and yelling and all kinds of funky sounds with my voice without messing it up. So that's always good. That is definitely good, especially since it seems like a lot of, uh, there's a motorcycle going by one second. No, you're fine. There we go. Okay. So, cause it seems like a lot of what you see, well, not all of what you're passionate about, but a lot of what you're doing right now requires your voice. So it's good that you have good control over it. <laughs> oh yeah. Hence, yeah. Hence uh, the control. Exactly. That's yeah. So much of it. Oh, it's, 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 it can be a little bit scary though. Like when you're sick, it feels so frustrating and so like, you feel like defanged, I guess, which is a weird way to put it. But I, I, I had a really rough, like cough a couple of weeks ago. And I was, I was so dramatic for days because I was like, I can't do anything. <laughs> Nothing matters. But, uh, so there is something to be said for not putting all your eggs in one basket in terms uh -huh. of what your quote unquote, uh, talent or whatever or your specialty is but it is it is nice also to have a lot of crossover mm -hmm. so it's a double-edged sword or a, not a double-edged sword um a uh, yeah it's a double-edged sword i sure. i questioned myself for a second <laughs> we'll go with it <laughs> it's a very sharp sword uh so addison <laughs> yes so addison what what is your process in creating your character voices oh boy that's a good question actually <laughs> i um haven't had a lot of chances to really fiddle around with my with the voice itself in terms of um like Erica Sanderson is pretty well known for being kind of a vocal chameleon like her accent work and like the way she can kind of adjust the sound of her voice for age and everything is is just phenomenal I'm obsessed with her it's fine she knows uh <laughs> and I would love to get to play more with that but uh for the most part, most of my stories tend to live in a world where the person would, obviously they're not me, so they approach things differently and their speech patterns are going to change because their personality is different and the way they're thinking about what they're saying is different. But the voice lives in a similar like tone. It doesn't really live in a different place. Mm -hmm. But when I do get a story where I get to play with my my voice, that's really fun for me. I um, was in a story for a Halloween episode, I guess, uh, this uh, the Halloween episode this year uh, where I played a younger, like a child version of Corinne Sanders. I believe it was Corinne and I hope I'm not wrong, but I had to play a 12 year old and that was really hard for me because one of the notes I was given before I did it, it wasn't like a, re a reactionary note was don't make this sound like a cartoon because a lot of the time when adults try to sound young, it sounds creepy. Yeah. Uh, it sounds weird. It doesn't sound like a kid. Nicole Goodnight's like the best person I know who uh, at doing like child voices, but otherwise I think most of the time adults have a lot of trouble. And Jessica McAvoy has just like this youthful sound to her, but I don't, I tend to play like divorced women on this show <laughs> and like moms and bosses, which is funny because I think I'm the youngest cast member, but I, got to sit down and go, well, what do, what do you like? That was, sorry, I'm rambling on, but what I was like, I had to think about the physiology of like, what do our voices actually do when we're younger? Like, what is it that makes a person sound young? Cause it's not like speaking in this, in a squeaky, like little girl voice. It's like your larynx is higher and like 
you have more nasality in your voice and like you kind of push it in a slightly it's 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 got a, it's pushed with a different kind of pressure I hope like you can hear a little bit what I'm doing mm-hmm. it's not that's not as dramatic but it's like having to sit down and like figure out for me I sit down with like the anatomy of it and then figure out how that makes sense like I want it to feel right as opposed to just sounding right because yeah. then I can be in that space at the same time and that's the only time I've really had to play with a character voice more than just a character's personality kind of informing the way I, I would talk slightly differently. But that was when I got, I, I got to kind of go, what makes, what sounds young, what sounds young and what is young? Not yeah, actually not just what sounds young, but what is, what is like a younger voice. And that was really fun. <laughs> and, uh, and then occasionally I get to sort of like, I don't even think if, I don't think I actively choose what I'm doing with my voice so much as uh, it's like a code switching. Like if I'm like, I look to like what their personality is. So like the way a person in my head sounds, who is this way, like playing uh, more of a villain type role or my favorite thing, actually. Oh, I forgot about this. Uh, my favorite thing I got to do was I did all this extra like Foley work and background voice work for when I narrated the story, the new beginning center, because part of that story is all these, there's all these extra creepy little voices that sound kind of like the narrator's voice, but aren't supposed to sound quite right. And they edited it and made it sound really otherworldly and creepy. And that was awesome. But I also had to kind of find a voice that was obviously going to be my voice, but not right for me. Kind of like a weird wispy. Like I like when I get to play with, uh, voicing something ethereal and voicing something not human. Nobody has a conversation where they're talking like this because it's really creepy. <laughs> like, why would I ever talk like this? That would be so uncomfortable for everyone involved. I've only done it a couple of times because, again, I'm usually, like, somebody's mom mm-hmm. or I'm, like, a div- I, I, I think I've been a divorced, like, like a, a divorced woman trying to get my groove back, like, a, but a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, when you when you get to... Like, I think I've, I've been like a ghost and I've been like an unnamed creepy psychic entity of some kind. And I've been a couple different things like that, where it's gotten to be like, st- I, I, basically it's parts of your voice. You don't get to ask to aspects of your voice. You don't get to use in regular life because the way that I'm speaking to you now is different than my quote unquote actor voice, but it's not that different. Like it's mm-hmm. lives in the same world. But <clears throat> what I was, all I was saying is that like, you don't. Nobody talks to each other in this kind of register. And this is the kind of register that you can like turn on and like have a lot of fun with. And now I'm changing into my normal voice again because it's like um, there's no character there. So I feel silly. But it's you get to play with it's really fun. I think the most fun thing is playing uh, something creepy or scary or like a villain, because that's when you get to bring in parts of your voice that aren't what you normally use and aren't normal and like sounds that don't make sense for regular life. But I don't. I have never, I've not yet had a character I had to actively craft a voice for on No Sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's another one of those, and I feel like I sound really pretentious, and I don't mean it to sound that way, but it's another situation where sort of reading the story and like looking at the, the, the pattern of speech that the author has written for this character is going to kind of inform the way my voice sounds mm-hmm. when I say it. So like if a person speaks in the same kind of verbiage that I do, it's going to sound a lot like me. Or if a person is written like... Uh, sort like like um kind of uh, what was the story um oh uh, b- 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 when I was in actually New Beginning Center and it was this character who's like kind of 
Uh, she's a model. She's a little bit uppity. She's a little bit, um, like a little bit pretentious. And and it kind of just I noticed when I was practicing reading, it just kind of brought her sound a little bit more into my nose and a little bit more into my like face and to the mask in terms of like where the resonance wanted to sit. And it, and so it it just kind of it it goes together. Like I don't just read a story and then kind of go, I'm gonna sound like this. It it all it's it it's it works together. And Addison, what was the uh, the Halloween episode that you get to play a child character? I don't remember what the what the episode. I think it was like a how it might have been a season pass episode, uh, season pass story. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'd have to go check what it was called. Um, Just as a side note, while you're looking things up, I mm-hmm. love how you approach characters from a very mechanical, like singer way of of bringing into this because it makes sense for a voice actor to think of your mask and for people who are listening who don't understand what that means that means like your nose area like I didn't understand that until recently when I was taking like a musical theater class just for funsies and they're like sing through your mask I'm like what does that mean (laughs) because I'm used to head Mm -hmm. voice which means singing as high up and resonating as high as you can your chest voice, which is deep and really just like raw, rich and beautiful. And then mask, I was like, oh, you mean that whole middle section that I was always bad at? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one From under- the inside out. That's what the story was called. Ah. It's called From the Inside Out. Perfect. The character's name was Corinne. Thank you. Good. Get into the mask. That was my, that's my classical brain coming in even more because my bass is actually like more of the opera world. And yeah. so like, that's, yeah, that's the, yeah. Okay, yeah. Thank you for elaborating on that. My, I just kind of bulldozed through that and didn't really stop to think about the fact that I'm like, not everybody uses <laughs> that term. Well, uh, no, it's, it's funny though. Cause like, I understood exactly what you were saying. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, I get it. Cause I sing. And then I was like, Oh wait, Alex might not get that. Cause he's not a singer. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Your mask is it's, it's where your resonate resonance comes into like your nose and like it's, it's, and sort of the sinus area and like under your eyes, it's, it's, it's where you'd wear, it's where you would wear a masquerade mask. Yeah. Basically. Nice. I'm just, I just sing some tenacious D while I'm cooking. That's about it. So he mostly oh. uses his mask area. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I well, I think that's where a lot of people naturally, <laughs> a lot of people naturally put their resonance there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very important for singing most contemporary stuff. Oh, yeah. So fair. It's good. It's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. It's a, it's a nice, it's, it's actually a very nice sound. It's um, also where very young voices are, where very young voices live. Which is amazing. I like how you broke that down. Just like talking about the larynx and then going up. It just <laughs> I, I love it. It's so um physiological and mechanical in a way, but it's just Thank smart. You. <laughs> to take, have, we have to learn a lot about our anatomy and it kinda of sticks in your head and the way you think about your whole you know, the whole thing. Uh it's hard to separate that out once you've kind of had that drilled into you. Oh yeah, and, um, and that's so interesting because that's also a lot of what you do with drawing as well. That you learn human anatomy and muscles and bones and how things connect and move uh, when you're yeah. drawing. So to hear that that's also applies for um, voice performance is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Particularly with singers, I think like we we went to um, through my voice studio at my school. We we went to a cadaver lab and looked inside of a throat and like saw the parts which was very no sleep of us so (laughs) 
At least you're prepared you know. for that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm the cadaver about every other week, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, I mean, I die all the time on this show. It's okay. This is no different. <laughs> oh, my God. My poor parents, too. Yeah. I've, rec- I've recorded when I'm home before, so they know what to expect now. But the first time I recorded at their house, I, I was on home on uh winter break and or like over Christmas and I was just basically one of those like uh I'm gonna be screaming upstairs for a little bit I'm fine <laughs> I'm fine <laughs> but I'm gonna be screaming <laughs> and now they just know nice it's like a little bumper warning for your house yeah it's exactly. just Addison screaming again it's fine and they live in the middle of nowhere so <laughs> it's we don't know who's gonna complain uh, that's good at least <laughs> the neighbors yeah. The, the the raccoons might be very concerned. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> there are cows. They will they will get worried. So uh Addison, tell us about your um some of the episodes you worked on that we really enjoyed. And definitely the Rosie Hour was a was a really interesting episode. Um just talk about a little bit about that uh episode and also your involvement in your character and, and, and just kinda how you got into that character. For the Rosie Hour? Yeah. Okay. I mean yeah, I think I mentioned a little bit already. That was my uh, very first story, so I was terrified. And I uh, also have never, I guess now that's different, but at the time, I've never been anyone's boss. I've never been in charge of anything. Uh-huh. I'm barely in charge of myself. So being in, figuring out kind of what does authority sound like even, what does an authority figure sound like, and it just kind of had to, I had to put myself, uh, I had to sit up very straight and I just did, I just did it for the listeners who can't see me. For everyone, I just sat up straighter, and I had to sit up very straight and sort of put myself in a physiology that felt confident and felt comfortable because I am terrified of everything all the time. And just for these three lines, I was very serious about this. I have to project some kind of authority because <laughs> it's just a call center, yes, but I am the boss. So I uh, mostly took the, the, in terms of character development for that one, because it was a pretty, very small role. It was mostly finding, uh, anything that I could use to pull confidence or mm-hmm. to pull that kind of, uh, that kind of vibe from so that I would at least maybe sound like someone who could conceivably be in charge of other people. Okay. Uh, so that was mostly it. And that one I loved because it's a really good story. I really love that story. I think it's so creepy and it's so fun. And I often have uh, uh, some trouble listening. Now I've gotten more used to it, but listening to things I'm on and it makes it because it's like, oh, who's she? But uh, for that one, I was in so I, I had such a small appearance on it that I was able to very comfortably listen to that story, which was good because it's a story that as a no sleep listener, I would have really already enjoyed. So I was just excited to appear on a story that already would have been the kind of thing that scares me and makes me nervous. Call center stuff. is always like everybody's got their kind of cheat codes of things that are going to freak them out, but late night call center type because there have been a couple stories that kind of play with that. And that'll always, that always gets me. I'm like, I hate it. That's never, that's never going to not make me nervous. That's too many negatives. You get it. I, um, I totally get it. Cause it is, it's like you at a call center, you are, if you're working in one, you're just supposed to be this anonymous, annoying person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're making calls or this anonymous, like exactly. person you get beat up on. Um, but when you leave, you're safe because you were talking over the phone and to not be safe. Mm hmm. 
it just like it kind of undermines your whole sense of like what exactly. is safe in the world. Well, it, yeah, it combines two of my favorite things in horror that are often explored through these very specific relatable situations, which are people who are working late at night alone or working late at night in general. Like we had closing shift at the pizza hut. We had like so many stories play with working late nights. Uh, and then that one combined with the idea of you have this illusion of safety and it's completely shattered and this illusion of anonymity, it's sort of, um, any stories that have people on like the dark net getting caught doing what they're doing or having someone trace their IP address or mm -hmm. having someone have your number that shouldn't or be able to see you when you can't see anybody outside. It's that same, it's that same feeling. It's, it's, uh, what the rules changing on you. There's this preconceived set of rules for how safety works and how I know I'm safe. Mm -hmm. And when something shatters those, that's such an, like, and I don't mean easy as in cheap. I mean, it's such a quick, efficient way to just cut somebody down to a primal level of fear because you yeah. you realize these rules don't matter and here I am and it's nothing that I uh, assumed to be true holds up. Yeah. And I think that Rosie Hour plays with that a lot because, oh my God, with the addition of an old lady is supposed to be what the least frightening yes. kind of person. <laughs> And taking then. of Deborah Logan aside, uh, great movie, <laughs> but taking of Deborah Logan aside, for the most part, older women are not, you're not, uh, who's scared of an old lady? She's like, oh, look at her. Like maybe she'll say something racist and you, and you laugh it off like, oh, grandma. But uh, <laughs> she, they're not a, a figure of fear, or least of all, like the kind of fear that that story explores. So I thought it was yeah. a really, I thought it was a really cool way to start on the show. It's still one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> like, it's a really good a one. Um, so with uh, another one that we really enjoy is The Closing Shift at Pizza Hut, which you brought up. And you were <laughs> in that one as well, correct? Yes, a little bitty, little bitty bit. Um, yep. I, I did get to do one of my other favorite horror tropes, yeah. which is to be the friend that is talking to the person and telling them to maybe not be doing the scary thing. And yeah. then the friend that probably dies, but then something pretending to be the friend reaches back out to the hero. That's my jam. I love that. That's my jam. Uh, so I was very excited about that one because it's, it's a very solid, like tropes are tropes for a reason. They're uh -huh. repeated and used a lot because they're effective. And that is an extremely effective one. Yeah, uh, particularly when you have like the voice of reason, be the one who, goes missing and then also the idea of like of the very obvious uh attempt to like by whatever the entity or person is in this in any story like that to pretend to be a specific person and it to just be strange enough that the person the narrator or the hero of the story knows something's wrong but not quite what yeah. that's that's it that's the that's my favorite kind of horror just the creeping sensation that something is very wrong and I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's my jam. It doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to have a super definitive answer. It doesn't need to mm -hmm. be super in your face. It doesn't need to jump out at you. Just give me that slow mounting dread. Uh, and I that's, it. I like, that's what I really liked about that story. Um, and, and, and also, and, uh, I'm sorry. And just since I actually worked at a D'Angelo's Pizza Hut combo <laughs> and have done that particular job, it was uh, particularly weird for me too i'm glad i didn't we didn't work open as late as that particular pizza mm -hmm. 
I have never worked a retail job that required to me required me to be working late at night. Mm-hmm. I, but that is one of my worst fears. Like I hate when I used to work, um, I used to work at the front desk of a yoga studio and I used to, and it was, I was opening in the morning, like in the mornings and working till like the mid afternoon. But I just going to open in the morning when it was like still a little bit dark outside, like not dark, dark, but like the sun had like just come up. It's like seven o'clock in the morning being alone as a young woman opening that up made me nervous. I can't imagine late working late at night by myself mm-hmm. like that. That would, Oh my God. And I am in, I won't say where cause murderers, but I live in like a small rinky dink town. It's not a scary place to be right. in general, but so, but working any kind of late shift here would just, I can't even imagine. So stories like that get under my skin yeah. very easily. Oof. That, that slow walk to your car. You're just not oh my safe. God. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. No, no thank, you. thank you. I hate, I, I will make anyone walk with me to my car. I lose <laughs> all sense of shame when it's time. I don't care. I don't care if you're annoyed. I don't care if you're inconvenienced. I am not getting my Achilles tendon slashed tonight. Uh, <laughs> hey, so. this is why stories like this are actually survival stories. It's how to think more, more mm-hmm. as a survivor in a world where we don't have to think that way most of the time. <laughs> I, I love podcasts like my favorite murder. Yes, <laughs> I, it, it gets, it gives my, it makes my little, um, anxious little brain think, see, you're learning, you're learning how to stay safe. Uh, although so far, most of what I've learned is go, don't go in national parks and don't hitchhike in the seventies, but Still. Oh, there you go. So uh, everyone, please, if you time travel, do not hitchhike in the 70s. Don't you dare. <laughs> Don't, Don't you do dare it. do it. You're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one other yes. episode that I did want to bring up was the New Beginning Center, because you did you played such an incredible role on that one. I just wanted to hear oh, more you. about your experience working on that episode. Uh, that episode was an experience. It's I first of all, like. I want to, I, I haven't actually communicated with a lot of the writers for No Sleep, and, but like, I, and I don't personally know the writer, mm-hmm. but uh, like some of the writers of No Sleep I've talked to, but I want to give, just like, take a second to acknowledge the writing of that story because yeah. I, it was like, I read through it sort of, I, I don't read through it in depth. The first time I read a story, I tend to sort of skim and get the arc of the story because I want to let the stuff be new to me as I'm reading it out loud. But I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't just skim it. That was a story that I could not stop reading because it just took a very, it took the most horrifying direction. Like it starts terrible and just takes this rapid descent. It, um, and I was, I'm obsessed with that story. I think it's a very, very particular kind of dark that, uh, the author just did really, really well. But, um, did you have specific questions about it before I like dive, just like start, going because it'll happen I'm kind of just curious um your just your experience because it was it is a very dark episode and it really goes into how like uh, like how how difficult it can be being your own worst enemy and then having these outside forces that are trying to do this to you as well oh my god yeah it's terrifying I I um I was first of all I I'm very, I was weirdly grateful. Um, and it shouldn't be something I'm necessarily need to be grateful for, but I, I, it was very 
interesting and in a very good way to read a story about eating disorders that mm-hmm. didn't because I've read stories that kind of start the same way and then it turns out like it like the it's it ends up just kind of being a gratuitous story about an eating disorder like mm-hmm. and I'm like that's sad and it's terrible and it ruins lives but it's not horror really and I say this as someone who has had my own struggles with that kind of area in the past but it was a story that started in this world that's already horrifying but that wasn't what the story was it wasn't like the villain of this it wasn't like the real villain was her own mind it was um which is has its place Uh but would have really bummed me out with a story that started the way as strong as it did uh and but it's because uh, I think I, th- I think we sort of broached on this with the working late at night and with yeah. um, everything. But horror works really well, in my opinion, when you're at your most vulnerable and the thing that you're the most scared of happening is what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's it, because it's the thought every single one of us has had, like when you walk alone to your car at night and all that sort of thing. And the idea of being uh, hospitalized against your will yeah. is already it's the it's so I'm like getting emotional just thinking talking about it because it's 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 a primal fear and so that loss of control when you can start at the most vulnerable you can imagine a person being and then you as a writer and you as an actor and you as a character are made to get lower Mm -hmm. and get worse than that then that is the recipe for something that is going to be like visceral for people because it you've already got people I think in a very vulnerable and fragile place and I think as as an actor going into that it was it was it was a really and I I I don't like I level with people about this like I tweeted about it and it not in a bad way I was fine afterward but it was my hardest story to do it was a really rough story to record uh because you're it's it's it starts from a place that is not only really vulnerable and really primal and human but very real Mm -hmm. like it's not like uh being in a story where like I'm getting murdered by ghosts or whatever that sort of or demons which I personally have not had any scary experiences with but like I think a lot of people who've had mental health struggles one of their biggest fears is uh being in a situation where they can't they're in they're hospitalized against their will and they can't do anything and they can't convince anyone that they're well even if they are that's the scariest thing and it starts in this almost one floor over the cuckoo's nest kind of place and then it's like this, I, I feel I'm like this author read my mind, I think, because one of my greatest uh, fears growing up, I saw the film uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. And it's it's actually, I, I think as a kid, I like took it in a, I took, I took, I interpreted that film, I think a little differently than it was meant because I didn't realize they were being replaced by pod people. I thought that they were literally having something take over their body oh. and that terrified me like that scared me like um being the idea of becoming a passenger in your butt that one that specific oh I'm getting like worked up because this is like a lot of my own personal like big like worst fears that one is a huge one like gradually losing like becoming a passenger in your body like spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert but if anyone saw the film get out that kind of narrative is Mm -hmm. I did just horrifying yeah, to me yeah and it was a really really great film though but oh I, it's an incredible yeah. film. but um i oh my god i saw it twice in theaters i never do that but uh it was like it's one of the most we have had a lot more brutal stories on the show in terms of 
like violence and like imagery. And I know a lot of people cite uh, the story of the Pancake Family for this one. Mm-hmm. And it's a story that I found very upsetting and I found very like interesting and totally super well written. But I did not find the Pancake Family nearly as psychically upsetting as New Beginning Center because I think it felt still, I think a lot of No Sleep that's more quote unquote horrible yeah. lives in this kind of uh, exaggerated world. It feels more cinematic and it feels more over the top but i think that this particular story lived in a world that was too it was so it was it was it was much more raw to me and it felt Mm -hmm. very uh, until like the end when it takes on aspects of uh like the supernatural it it, it's incredibly realistic and Uh, it's very intimate too like oh incredibly that that level of violation of her own choice is an autonomy just, yes it's so intimate like, it's just it's dehumanization it so violent. exactly it's it's like a psychological violence that i mm-hmm. feel like we very rarely touch on uh like being so dehumanized you have to like no one will let you go to the bathroom right. and uh that like it, it, it yeah that levels of that and it is and i'm sure i'll have r- rough stuff in the future that's the nature of the show and i and i love it and i don't regret working on the story cuz i like people often ask me what my favorite story i've worked on is and that is one of my favorite stories i've worked on but it is also the hardest story i've worked on i uh like i told people though if you hear you hear me crying in that story that is real i am reacting to what i am reading yeah. and that is what is and that is real I don't fake cry on this show. If you hear me crying, that's happening. And it's because that's something that that story has kind of evoked from this person that I'm trying to sort of slip inside of for a while. And Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for sharing that intimacy with us as an audience. I think that's really awesome. I think, and this is my acting school, whatever, like Meisner stuff coming out. But I think that nobody wants to see or hear somebody faking it. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and I'm not saying anyone should, no, your goal should never be like, you shouldn't be like for trying to find an emotional state, but if, if like ever people want to hear or to see what is the most honest reaction and response to what is happening in the story that you're, you're telling. So I think, I think it's really important for, uh, and it's so scary, but I think it's really important for actors to be willing to be really vulnerable and to be really honest because there's nothing more fascinating than watching an actor struggle with their, like, or an actor in a character. Obviously I don't want to watch an actor cry just off stage, like having a bad time, but, uh, struggle with a circumstance or an obstacle or an emotion, um, as in the world of the story, it's, it's, I, I think it's, it's one of my very favorite things, like watching a film. If I watch, if actually it's one of the reasons I loved Get Out so much is that that actor is so like, he is so, he is in it. He is not pushing for anything. He is not trying to find anything. I like the shot of him crying in the trailer was all I needed to know. I wanted to see this movie because I was like the quality of the work in this film. I know this is going to be good. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And and so Addison, in your show profile for No Sleep Podcast, it says that you are a writer as well. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about your writing? Oh, yes. Um, I'm a, I feel weird saying it. Um, well, I'm a, I do a lot of nonfiction and uh, um, like, I don't know if I want to call it journalism because it's not like journalism, but I do reviews, uh, film reviews and interviews for the Horror Honeys. And I also have written freelance for a couple websites. I've written some freelance film review for Vague Visages. I have written uh, 
done an interview with Kate Siegel and an opinion piece on uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer thing for the Mary Sue. Hmm. I've written for the establishment. Uh, so I write a lot of nonfiction and like uh, essay kind of stuff. And then I also am a amateur playwright. I think I can, I think I can get away with saying that I'm an amateur playwright. I uh, have a, one act play that I wrote that was produced locally last year and just recently went up again in a small theater at the crystal theater in Connecticut. Um, so I, I, I kind of spread myself all around, uh, in a lot of different styles, just Mm -hmm. a lot like musical theater versus horror voice (laughs) acting. Um, a little bit, a little bit of everything. Mostly I am not good at fiction. I'm trying to get better, but, uh, I, I like playwriting and journalism and research and that sort of thing. I think that makes sense because like playwriting often, not always, but often finds its base in research and <laughs> finds its base in having a very, um, I don't know, some of the best plays have a point, I guess is what I'm going, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is they have a point, right. like they have some, like a message they actually are trying to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious, what was, what were your, what was your one act about? I'm, I, I would like to know more about it. Oh, well, it's a, it's a, it's a 45 minute one act play uh, called Scrapbooks. If you Google that with my name, you can probably find some stuff about it a little bit. That's just me telling people who might hear it. It's, um, uh, it's a it's a weird it's a weird example it's a weirder piece because it's a a combination of it playwriting with one of the other forms of writing that I often do that I didn't mention but I write a lot of uh, spoken word poetry as well mm-hmm. and so it's uh, a play about um, sort of the relationship between a person and the different periods of their life that they write different things so it's sort of a little nonlinear piece about um, or where involving a a young writer going through old boxes of notebooks, papers, et cetera, and having interactions with herself, a uh, younger, younger version of herself, uh, through that. So it's sort of the combination of dial, like traditional dialogue. And then the dialogue sometimes morphs into a verse kind of format or like the readings of the writings contained in said notebooks. Cool. Um, I am a, it's a very special piece to me. I had a lot of fun writing it and it, it's very exciting to me that people still want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, so, and I don't know how much, if, if it'll get uh, produced again, but uh, the fact that it has been a couple times is really cool to me. And I, I want to keep writing more things. And the, the other projects I've been working on in terms of writing are much, uh, more in the world of American realism, mm-hmm. but it was an interesting experiment in, uh, non-linear storytelling nice. and that sort of thing. Uh, excuse me. Mm-hmm. No worries. And so, Addison, what authors do you like to read or draw inspiration from? Oh, in which which aspect? There's so many worlds. Um, uh, let's start uh, with theater and playwriting okay. specifically, and then we'll yes. kind of branch out from there. Okay, thank you. I love Annie Baker. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is one of my favorite playwrights. She wrote the aliens. She wrote the flick. Uh, she has a very human style and she also, uh, doesn't make any sacrifices 
in her work. Like she doesn't sacrifice anything for what she thinks people might want to see. She writes the stories she knows she wants to tell. Uh, so she writes in stuff that feels very human and very realistic, even at the expense of maybe being as entertaining. Like the flick is a play that has like extended pauses in the dialogue of just people going about their life throughout like in in the play and maybe it's not the most theatrical thing but she's very into painting the human experience on stage and I really really enjoy that I love Teresa Rebeck who I think is just an excellent just a great comedic writer and an excellent playwright she wrote Seminar which was on Broadway with Alan Rickman and like ah she's she's fantastic um I love those are two of my very favorites and then I also really love, and I'm a little biased because I, 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 I've met him and he's also just like a lovely person, but Stephen Adley Gyrgis, the writer of uh, The Last Days of Judas Iscariot, mm-hmm. um, Jesus Hop the A-Train, uh, Between Riverside and Crazy, he is like one of the number one playwrights I will recommend to people to read. And I think he is just one of my biggest inspirations in terms of writing and in terms of doing, and he says this for writing, but I think it applies to most art mm-hmm. uh he basically was saying like you have to write what you know in terms of emotional truth uh and so in that way even if your characters aren't you or aren't living circumstances you've lived in some aspect a good writer is somehow telling on himself or herself or telling on themselves mm-hmm. when they're writing like they're admitting something even if the audience can't see it that they wouldn't want to admit so do you try to like do you try to reach into that when you're writing as well I do. I do. I like, I, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know how successful I am at it, but that's always the goal. I think, yeah, is to mm-hmm. find something and it's cause it's not about, cause creating art for people is not about opening up your heart and like bleeding all over them. It's not right. about that. You want to create a story that people want to, to see or to read or to whatever, but there is, it, it should have something that feels like you, like even if it's not part of the story, but part of the emotional stuff you're talking about or the, the, the characters that you're working with. I think, yeah, I think that that's the best way to find something really, really honest is to find tap into something that, yeah, that you're telling on yourself that you wouldn't admit to yourself or to anybody. You just kind of, it's, it's hiding your truth in something. Yeah. And I think it can be incredibly effective. Definitely. And I just don't want to come off like a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get it. Cause sometimes it's hard to, to talk about art in a way that doesn't sound highfalutin, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but I think I, you're I, actually doing a, a good job. Um, okay. <laughs> you're doing great, I, I Addison. Don't for worry. Breakfast. I'm a gal of the people. All right. <laughs> um, has your work with the no sleep podcast changed your perspective on, um, well, I'm, I'm going to phase this or, I have this question written. I'm going to phase it, phrase it just a different. Oh my gosh. My tongue okay. is just tied in a knot. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, um, yellow leather. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so has your work with the no sleep podcast changed how you're approaching your own writing? Oh man. I think absolutely it is. I think, um, I think I don't really ever write horror. So it's mm-hmm. a very different, uh, approach that's that's all I've written exactly one uh um, I've written exactly one piece of horror fiction and it was in my personal opinion it was like fine um (laughs) so that's already something is I know what good what good horror looks like or horror that people are going to respond to looks like Mm -hmm. but also I think yeah it's it's made me at least pay more attention 
you read so many of the stories that have kind of the same uh, undercurrent to mm-hmm. them, even if the stories are very different and the effects are very different, they all kind of play on these very similar themes. And it's been a very interesting lesson in what people pay attention to, what people respond to and what people are scared of. Uh, Do you think that as you're going, even if you're not writing horror, but if you're, you know, approaching some of your other plays that are maybe more drama based, that you're going to start tapping into some of these themes that you've seen that people are afraid of because you know it gets a reaction from them? Absolutely. I think that uh, as as weird and uh, nihilistic and however that as this might sound, I think a primary motivator for most people in a lot of stuff that they do is fear. Mm -hmm. So I think that understanding what scares people and understanding what brings that reaction out of them is how you write almost anything. I mean, maybe it wouldn't help you with comedy, but it might. might. (laughs) Uh, But with most things, it's you want to know what people are afraid of is going to impact everything that they do, whether it's something extreme, like something in no sleep, or it's something smaller but still intense like hurting other people or being guarded or being uh reckless in some way it's i think fear is such a primary human motivator that if we don't pay attention to it you're not going to be painting a complete picture of the human experience no matter what you're writing you have to at least listen at least look at it you definitely definitely do in my in my opinion also but yeah (laughs) speaking of things that scare us uh, you, Addison, you have a podcast called The Cryptid Keeper. Can you tell us? Oh, the, I do. Can, can you tell the audience of what that show is all about? Yes, I can. It is not a scary show. So if you're hoping to be scared, it's not going to do that for you. But if you would like a bit of a palate cleanser, uh, it's definitely something like that. Because I love, uh, I love when people are able to take stuff that's kind of conceptually creepy or strange or upsetting and make it light and interesting Mm -hmm. at the same time. Like I like uh, a lot of shows that do that. So it's uh, my best friend uh, and I, um, Alex Flanagan, she is a, an excellent writer and musician and human being. uh, And, and I discussing cryptids and folklore and urban legends and cryptids are, if people don't know, uh, they are animals or creatures that have not, definitively by science been proven to exist or to not exist so that would be it's a pretty large umbrella term that covers things like mothman Loch Ness monster um even things like aliens can fall under that jurisdiction or some of the stuff we've covered like uh, like kelpies in scottish mythology mm-hmm. stuff like that and it's basically a show where my dear dear friend alex and i talk about cryptids and what we th- what they're what they're all about. We do a lot of research for them, and it's a very silly kind of show where we just sort of dive into what like what stuff all over the world people may or may not have seen or encountered, and sometimes wonder kind of where that came from. What are we scared? Like if it's not real, which it probably is, because like let's be real. But <laughs> where did that come from? What are we scared of? That is the reason we have this narrative that we've crafted. Like I, I'm the, I'm a molder in so many of my, in so many ways. So I, mm-hmm. I'm genuinely ready to believe in pretty much anything, but I do have to also, but something we discussed, for example, when we talked about, uh, the Kappa, which is a figure of Japanese folklore that, um, kills people in the water. 
it's a good way to keep your children from going too close to the water's edge because that is something real to be afraid of Mm -hmm. is child drowning and a really fast moving river with a strong undertow that you get caught in. So sort of the way that the intersection between like real life, quote unquote, real life fears and these sort of over the top monsters. And then also just taking time to being able to laugh at things that are scary. Mm-hmm. Like I'm terrified of most of the stuff we talk about. But we yeah. make really, really dumb jokes about it. So, so it kind of helps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a good, humor is my favorite coping mechanism. It's one of the best ones. It, it, it can help like all sorts of things. It just, you exactly. know, if you can laugh it off, you can keep walking. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you gotta laugh or you'll cry. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which would you rather do? I know. Um, <laughs> Exactly. um, When, where did your love of cryptids kind of begin? Oh boy. (laughs) Um, It actually started pretty early. Uh, I actually don't know what the publisher or the series or anything about this was called, but there were these books that were like mail order. Like you could order them off the internet. I was obsessed with them uh, when I was a kid and they were like, like expose on like some kind of there. They had one on vampires, one on ghosts and one on uh, aliens and I had all of them nice. and I was obsessed with them. And the vampire one, especially it was the one that got me like deep into what I would consider my first exposure to the cryptid world, because it talked about not just traditional Bram Stoker type vampires, but it talked about all these different legends of that were sort of like vampires throughout history and in different countries. And one of the ones it talked about was the chupacabra. And I was like, well, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I was, I was nine at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was just obsessed with all these different, vampire-like creatures, especially the chupacabra. And I read all about it. So it started pretty young. And I also was obsessed with uh, aliens and I read a ton about them as well. So it started, it started probably around age nine. And then I didn't really know what the word, I didn't know the word cryptid until I got a little bit older. I also watched all of the X-Files when I was like 15. And then they do even more of that where they talk about Bigfoot and they talk about all these different other creatures that have like the Dover demon they have all this stuff. Uh, um, and so I think from there, I don't actually remember when I learned what like the word cryptid. I, I, I think I was probably in high school when I first heard the word used or saw it mentioned, but I, I knew about the word cryptozoology for a while. So I think it was a spinoff of that. Uh, and then I also used to see, and I don't know what the series was called. And I, oh, I wish I knew because I would look it up and watch it online. There was a show on Animal Planet that used to come on really late at night. At like, okay, I said really late. I was like 12. It was like 10 o'clock, <laughs> 10 o'clock at night, um, where they talked about cryptozoology and animals that we didn't know whether or not they existed and it what what the theory might be. And they did one on this like dog creature that was like a striped hyena kind of thing and they had different theories about what it might have been but none of them really held up and that would just kind of end with does it exist I don't know mm-hmm. and I loved it nice. uh, so it's I've had a lot of cryptid influ- cryptozoological influences on me growing up and I also just was always a kid who was really ready to believe in the craziest stuff just like anything wacky or like weird I could find uh, so hardcore believed in ghosts believed in aliens, everything. So I was just really hungry to believe in really, really out there stuff. So I think that just kind of took me on a journey. So Addison, where can people find you and your work? 
Oh, people can find me. Um, I think the best place to look for me is my Twitter because that's where all of my work kind of consolidates and comes together. So that would be at Addison Peacock, Addison underscore Peacock. My name is spelled A-D-D-I-S-O-N and then underscore and then Peacock like the bird. Uh, And then in terms of if you're looking for specifically my work, I have the podcast, The Cryptid Keeper. That's also on Twitter at CryptKeepPod, C-R-Y-P-K-E-E-P-P-O-D. And then I'm on the No Sleep Podcast. I'm on thehorrorhoneys.com. That's where a lot of my reviews and interviews will pop up. And then for any other stuff, it's probably going to be on my Twitter. Perfect. Yeah. So everybody make sure to go follow Addison and <laughs> listen you. to her voice in all of the places, even in written form where she's reviewing things, because that is also interesting. <laughs> Hooray. Hooray. I wrote an essay. I wrote an essay about how much I love the movie Jennifer's Body. So if nice. you want to read that for some reason, <laughs> you know, go that, find that. that movie gets so much hate, but I really, really enjoyed it's it. Legitimately it's an a good excellent movie. film. <laughs> it is an it is an excellent horror comedy and does not get credit for being what it is because I think people didn't expect it to be like as much of a comedy as it was. And I'm like, Diablo right. Cody wrote the screenplay. What do you mean? Um, anyway, I have a lot of strong feelings about Jennifer's body. Sorry. And, 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 and the combination of sexuality and fear mashed together. Oh, like yeah. It's oh, always powerful. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. It's so smart. Also, Megan Fox is actually a much better actor than people think she is. So Yeah, <laughs> she is. Because people, people just get putting her in like... Yeah. Eh, Just get her out of the Transformers franchise. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Or like her main claim to fame is just, look at my butt, hair flip. Mm -hmm. We can do more than this. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, I got to go check out uh, Chatting Tatum and Foxcatcher. I heard he was excellent. Oh, he's incredible. I got to see that because I know know he did actually smash his face into a mirror without any prompting or anything on the script that said to do that. Uh, in order to just get into character, Whoa. just in the scene, mm-hmm. he just he just felt like he needed to do it, and he did it. And uh, just Stop like Leonardo, stuff, Di- exactly, just like Leonardo DiCaprio in um, what's in that that movie? Oh, but that one was an accident in Django Unchained. He but accidentally it, it, well, it was up. an accident, but he he kept it in character. I mean, I've seen oh, yeah, I've seen did. I've seen wrestlers do that, but I've never seen an actor do that. Oh and, yeah, and it's pretty fantastic. That's what happens if you mess up? You gotta keep going. Yeah, because usually. If you just keep going, that's the take that matters. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the good one. Yep. <laughs> Addison, thank you, thank you, thank you so much yes, for talking to us today. Thank you so today. much. This is thank you for having me. Fascinating. Like, I love it. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you for letting me talk at you so much. Oh, my God. I, 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 I have never been the one I've been the host of the thing. I've uh-huh. never been the one who's appearing on the thing. So <laughs> I never had to have to warn someone that I never shut up. But <laughs> it, Hey, it actually makes it really easy for us. Cause it's like, uh, you know, one word and then you're off for a while. It's, it's like the best kind of interview. <laughs> you just go places we weren't expecting. It was like, Oh, this is cool. Let's yeah. talk about that. Oh, now. Good. Oh, good. <laughs> that's, oh, that's the good thing to hear. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Addison, so much for joining us on the Ninth Story Podcast. Also, we would like to send a special thanks to David Cummings from the No Sleep Podcast for sending us the clip we played in the beginning of this episode. Thanks, David. And thank you so much to our audience for listening all the way through. You get a million banana stickers, and Donkey Kong will be looking for you in your sleep tonight. He's going to steal all of your banana stickers. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, go hide your banana stickers, guys. I suggest under one coffee cup. He'll never look there. Because you know Donkey Kong doesn't drink coffee. That's right. He drinks. Banana juice? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know where that thought was going. I was like, what would be something? Other- Coconut juice. And thank you so much to our sponsors, Road Microphones. Our sponsor, singular currently, but eventually we'll have more. Please go check out all of their amazing products at road.com. They make us sound amazing and they will do the same for you. And if you, after you do that, need to talk to us about how amazing life is or how many banana stickers or where, actually, I want to know, where would you hide a million banana stickers? Mm-hmm. I'm curious. And you can mm-hmm. tell us at Night Story Podcast on Twitter. Actually, just send us a picture of a thing that you would hide it under, like a couch or a car or a cat or I don't know. I'm curious. Follow us. Talk to us. Talk to all of our amazing writers. They're all following us as well. So that's a great place to reach out to anybody who has been on the show. Thank you so much, my friends. How about a question of the week really quick? Uh, but my question of the week is where are you going to hide a million banana stickers? Oh, see, there it is. There in it case is, kids. you're like Alex and tuned me out. I just tune out in general <laughs> sometimes, especially if there's a, tele- a tele- especially if there's like a television in the room. I just my brain turns completely off, and I am now a zombie. Bye, everybody. Bye. Skype call take two. Hello, welcome to Skype call testing service. After the beep, please record a message. Afterwards, your message will be played back to you. Sing us a song, you're the piano man. Because you got a piano. Sing us a song tonight. Because you know how to. Because we're all in the mood for a melody. Sing us a song, you're the piano man. Because you got a piano. Sing us a song tonight. Because you know how to. Because we're all in the mood. (laughs) If you are able to hear your own voice, then you have configured Skype correctly. We're in the mood If you hear this message, but not your own voice, and something is wrong with your audio recording settings. Or your brain. Please check your microphone and microphone settings or visit Skype.com for more help. Thank you. Thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.